0: everybody, and welcome to the Alley Cat podcast, where come rain, shine, or anything in between, we're here to deliver to you the Kansas State Sporting News that you so love. I'm Ace Edwards, right alongside Connor Balthazor, And welcome to what is now the biggest game of the year. Even Maple wants to join in on the action for this one. But this is, and I'm not exaggerating, probably an elimination game for Arlington. And I know that a lot of people will say that's hyperbolic. I don't think it is. <laughs> I think this is functionally an elimination game between K-State and Texas to figure out who's in the driver's seat, who controls their own destiny in order to compete for a Big 12 championship down in Arlington. So we've established this game has stakes. Connor, do you want to go in the stats from last year?
1: Yeah. Uh, so last year they went 8-5 and five and had a 6-3 and three conference record. Uh, Their offense was electric pretty much the entire season. Uh, 2,446 rushing yards at 5.2 per attempt and 29 touchdowns on the ground. And then 3,138 passing yards, uh, 7.75 per attempt, completing 61.2% of their passes, 22 touchdowns to 7 picks. Third down percentage of 38.79%. Then a red zone percentage of... Scoring ninety percent of the time and getting a touchdown sixty-two percent of the time, uh, only allowed nineteen sacks throughout the year. Scored thirty-four point four six points per game uh, for a total four hundred
0: and forty-eight points for. Yeah, so really good offense, top to bottom. Like, there's there's no one area that you can really point to that isn't great, except for maybe third down percentage, which is just above average. <laughs> But on defense, they weren't bad either, only giving up 21.62 points per game, 281 total points against. Their pass defense wasn't great in terms of yardage, 3,155, excuse me. Uh, 18 passing touchdowns, 1,634 rushing yards against, 14 rushing touchdowns, a red zone scoring percentage of 78%, and a touchdown percentage of 51%, 10 picks, 10 fumbles forced, 27 sacks, and a turnover differential of plus two so just looking at the stats there they gave up a lot of yards to the air yes but where they really clamped down was in the red zone and connor you know the old adage for giving up a lot of yards but not giving up things in the red zone
1: (laughs) yep bend don't break break. (laughs) that was their their motto last year but yeah they were a really really good team last year that just couldn't get out of their own way more than anything and uh, that and Quinn Ewers was uh, still a young quarterback uh, who had obvious arm talent. That's kind of how we evaluated him last year. Was that uh, he had the best arm talent out of anyone that we would have faced by far, uh, and that would have uh, been the same this year. But he's injured, so not going to be as big of an issue uh, at, um, at this point.
0: Yeah, you have the returners yeah. as well. Which uh,
1: the number one returner would have been Quinn Ewers, uh, but again, he's injured. So we won't be seeing him. Uh, so that leaves Xavier Worthy as the uh, um, top returner. And uh, he definitely is just as notable as yours. He's uh, been Texas's number one receiver for, I think it's his third season now, yeah. as pretty much being that guy. Uh, he's just really, really good at everything. There's, I think he's the best receiver in the conference, and it's not super close. Well, maybe close with the guy who they yeah. added, but... Yeah, and... Uh, So, yeah, that um, A.D. Mitchell from Georgia, uh, who they added, he's pretty notable as well. Those two guys on their own are the top two receivers in the conference most likely. Uh, Jatavian Sanders, the tight end, Uh, I don't know if he played in our game last year. Uh, He did. Okay. He was relatively
0: quiet, but he played.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Uh, But Jatavian Sanders, super, super, super athletic tight end. Uh, Most draft boards have him as the number two. Tight end, and some have even started putting him at number one with Rock Bowers of Georgia getting hurt. So, Jatavian Sanders, really highly thought of. Uh, Jalen Ford, linebacker, he's back. Uh, some people thought that he should have been the defensive player of the year in the conference last year instead of Felix. Uh, but, and oh well, I don't I, mean, really I understand
0: I care. why people think that. I, I agree with the pick, not biased at all, mm-hmm. but I understand why people thought that. Yeah, but. Uh, So
1: he's um, had a bit of a chip on his shoulder that way, and he's back for another year at Texas. Uh, Jaron Thompson at safety, another notable returner, and then Baron Sorrell
0: at defensive end. Yeah, so they're returning a lot of production, even that isn't listed on there, but they're also losing quite a few pieces from last year as well, including probably most importantly... Uh, Bijan Robinson, who was a first round pick running back to the Falcons. I believe he went like number eight overall, which is ridiculous for a running back. And honestly, he deserved that. Uh, DeMarvian Overshone, who was their leader on defense last year, was a third rounder to the Cowboys. Roshan Johnson, who is their RB2, was a fourth rounder to the Bears. Keandre Coburn, who is their nose tackle, was a 6th rounder to the Chiefs. Moro Ojomo, who was one of their defensive ends, was a seventh-rounder to the Eagles. And then Brennan Thompson, who is one of their leading receivers last year, ended up transferring to Oklahoma. So uh, someone made him really mad at Texas, I imagine. Because <laughs> that's a spite transfer right there. But, yeah, they are losing a lot from last year. Or have lost, I suppose, because it's not an ongoing process. But in terms of their schedule, they're... We, they're a seven and one team, four and one conference record. They blew out Rice. They beat Alabama by ten. Uh, they beat Wyoming by twenty one. They decimated Baylor thirty eight to six. They beat KU handedly forty to fourteen. Barely lost to, at the time five and zero Oklahoma thirty four to thirty. Barely scraped by Houston. Strangely enough, at Houston thirty one to twenty four, and then. Completely dismantled a five and two BYU team last week, thirty five to six. And now you you could say, I'm really only seeing that that's not that's not a cupcake schedule. <laughs> like they've played a an improving KU team that I still admittedly think have flaws, but just beat Oklahoma. They beat a really good Oklahoma squad and they beat Alabama, albeit an Alabama that seemingly has barely figured out its quarterback situation like that this is I, i want to make this known in no uncertain terms texas is a remarkably talented and a very 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 good team which means connor you have the stats all the way to the defensive stats for this year
1: Yep. So this year they're seven and one. They're four and one in conference. Uh, again, that only loss being a uh, dramatic loss to Oklahoma uh, in the Red River rivalry. Uh, they have 1,440 rushing yards on the year at 4.7 yards per attempt. So they have not missed a beat really for the most part uh, from losing both Bijan Robinson and Roshan Johnson. We'll get into that a little later. And then passing yards, 2,193 on the air, 8.77 uh, 7, uh, per attempt, 15 touchdowns to 4 interceptions, and throwing 16 rushing touchdowns as well. Their offense overall averaging 6.6 6 yards per play, uh, converting 40.57% of their third downs. And then on defense, only allowing uh, offenses to convert 27.78% of their third downs, which is incredible. Uh, Defense allowing uh, five yards per play still.
0: Uh, and then, uh, I'm getting into your stats now. No, you're good. But the, the main stats that I want to point over, they're averaging 34.5 points per game. A turnover differential of plus six. They have 19 sacks. Here's the kicker. And uh, here's where my prediction for the game much later will make a lot of sense. On defense, they're only giving up a touchdown on 27% of red zone possessions. They're allowing scores 68% of the time. Oh, okay. Uh, (laughs) And then on offense, they're only scoring touchdowns 48% of the time, and that's with the majority of the games being with Quinn Ewers. And they're only scoring on 79% of the time. So to uh, to give you a little mini preview of what we're about to say, Texas lives and dies by explosiveness. That is their number one philosophy. But before we get into more about that and the general scouting report regarding Texas, here is a quick word from today's sponsor. And we are back to this episode of the Aggieville Alley Cats podcast, this time giving a scouting report for what is probably an elimination game for Arlington. Uh, before we get into this, I just wanted to say, if you're enjoying all these episodes that we do, please be sure to leave a review, leave a, whatever review you feel necessary, preferably five stars, that would make us happy, but uh, it just helps people, helps spread the podcast around, and we would really appreciate it, but let's get straight into the offensive play calling philosophy, and Connor, I'm, I'm just going to give you all these notes, <laughs>
1: Yeah, so play calling, um, despite um, their offense with Quinn Ewers, Quinn Ewers being uh, one of the most pure passers in college football, uh, their run pass split is 54-46 to in favor of the run, so they slightly favor the run. Uh, And then uh, with uh, their current quarterback, now that Ewers is out, uh, Malik Murphy, uh, they're going to run a lot more in the way of RPOs, a lot more one-read stuff, uh, just because Malik Murphy... Uh, just nowhere near as experienced and nowhere near as natural AI passers, quignures. Uh And then in the running game, they want to get their linemen moving laterally, uh, but not necessarily always in pin and pull. Uh, they do like to run GT counter, uh, which uh, Ace does not like, uh, but they'll also run some traditional zone. But then in their uh, passing, uh, nearly 50% of the time, just under 49% of the time, uh, they're running play action, And then over 20% of the time, they're running screens, and they used a lot of uh, jet motion for coverage indicators, which, granted, a lot of teams do, but they do it to a notable degree. Uh, So a lot of play action, screens, and a lot of eye candy, and a lot of pulling on their offensive line, and they prefer to run the ball, and a lot of RPO. So this is a very modern offense in a lot of senses. Uh, which uh, hopefully, well, not hopefully, but the intention, at least, for Steve Sarkeesian, I imagine, right now, is to make things easy, as easy as possible for Malik Murphy.
0: Yeah, and admittedly, that was sort of his same philosophy with Quinn Ewers, even though Quinn Ewers was further along. But now we can talk about the new man under center, and that is Malik Murphy, number six. This will be his second career start. He has a grand total of 36 passing attempts in his college football career. He is a redshirt freshman. And there's very limited film on him. You get the BYU game, and then you get, like, maybe a quarter of Houston. And they weren't passing much against Houston. In fact, they only did so twice with Malik Murphy. But I can tell you one thing that he is definitively not. Mobile. He's a statue, which makes sense given that he was a pocket passer. But still, it is kind of miraculous that a te- that Texas has recruited a quarterback who's bordering on statue territory
1: <laughs> yeah a little unusual I guess for uh, for Texas um, we we never really think I guess of Texas as being a team that has overly mobile quarterbacks but it seems like they always have a mobile element uh, to their game. Uh, even a guy like Ellinger, who doesn't seem like a mobile quarterback, was kind of Max Duggan mobile, yeah. where he was just kind of a bowling ball that
0: uh, just somehow managed to constantly get first downs. But yeah, It was just his acceleration was so weird. Yep. But I, what he does have, there, there are two things that I can definitively say about Malik Murphy. He's not mobile. Oh my god, he has a rocket arm. <laughs> it's not as good an arm as Quinn Ewer's. I don't think anyone not named Josh Allen and Justin Herbert have as good an arm as Quinn Ewers. But, wow, he has legitimate arm talent. Like, probably, like, top 20 arm talent in all of college football, and he's a backup. Which, again, just sort of tells you what Texas is bringing in. But everything else about his game just seems really, really hit or miss. Uh, His accuracy really fluctuates from barely passable to really, really bad. He's really paranoid in the pocket, and when he tries to ride out pressure, he is awful at it. In fact, his specific numbers under pressure, which he is under pressure on 17.6% of his dropbacks, he's only completing 40% of his passes, and he has an offensive PFF grade of 217 and 20 or 33% of his throws under pressure have been turnover-worthy plays. So he's not there in terms of decision-making and pocket presence and how to deal with pressure. And when he's not under pressure, his decision-making is inoffensive, but you know, a lot of teams have realized that, or the teams that have faced him, which is BYU and a little bit of Houston, they realize, wait a minute, he's not dealing with pressure very well so when he's blitzed which 53 percent of the time he has been he everything about his game just sort of falls apart but outside of that in his limited passing attempts he's mostly been operating over the middle which very much suits the um very much suits the steve sarkeesian offense in fact he has 24 point (laughs) and that's ridiculous Over 80% of his pass attempts are over the middle in some way, so which makes sense because you don't want your freshman quarterback to have to move his head around all, all that much when he could just look forward and then just try to process what's in front of him. So he's trying to simplify the offense, but the problem with that is that you cannot be late throwing over the middle. That is the downside. Of throwing over the middle. Throwing outside, yeah, you have to make harder throws, but you also somehow get more room for error. If you're late throwing over the middle, it's a pick or you're killing your receiver. That's it. So, right now, as, he sta- as it stands, Malik Murphy is a quarterback that has to have everything go right, or he's just not going to be that perfect quarterback. And, you know, you don't expect perfection from a redshirt freshman, but He's bordering on like, just not good territory whenever one slight thing goes wrong. And I don't want to dumpster on him. He does go to Texas, so actually that's a little bit of a lie. But he, I, he's not Quinn Ewers. No one should expect him to be. And if like, that's all I really have to say until we get into the prediction phase. I talked for a long time, which means, Connor, you get the running back and I'll... Let's go to the first two receivers.
1: Yeah, so uh, running back, we have Jonathan Brooks, uh, which uh, I thought he was a five-star. Turns out he wasn't. He was uh, a low-end four-star, uh, which is... They don't deserve it. But, I mean, if you thought that it was going to get easier now that Bijan Roshan Johnson are gone, you're kind of right. You're, but, you're
0: marginally right.
1: But not to... A degree that's worth even mentioning, honestly. Uh, Jonathan Brooks is really, 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 really good. Uh, he's he's a Texas running back through and through. He looks like one. He runs like one, and uh, everything about him is basically like Bijan, but not quite as dominant. Uh, at least in terms of uh, how he is just able to get away from any contact. But he's still able to do that really well. He's a very powerful runner. His contact balance is unbelievable. And he he's elite in those traits. Uh, his long speed is good enough uh, to where if you take a bad angle, uh, he's going to hurt you. Uh, and again, he doesn't have the best wiggle, but his vision is really good. There's a lot to like about Jonathan Brooks. If you're a Texas fan, that is. Uh, But we are Texas fans, so we're just annoyed, again, that Texas is, again, going to have a really, really good running back that's difficult to bring down, that knows where to run, and is patient behind a really good offensive line. That is going to make Jonathan Brooks very frustrating, a big part of this game. is going to come down to how we're able to handle him, for the most part. He's... uh, Definitely the best running back that we've seen this year uh, in terms of physical talent. Uh, So it's going to be difficult to contain him. This is the sort of game where you really would like to have a guy like Daniel Green available to kind of match that physicality. Uh, It's going to be a huge test for the front of our uh, defense here uh, because we're already a little depleted. um, But Brooks is just a really powerful running back that we're going to have to be we're not to be better at tackling in this game than we've been in any other game this season. Yeah.
0: I, I think the one of the comps that I've heard for for him is uh he's Bijan without the twitch, which is a nightmare scenario. <laughs> yeah. Uh,
1: if the only thing you're you're uh, leaving behind from Bijan has the twitch, I still would really rather not. But <laughs> um Brooks, he will run just about anywhere except off tackle he'll still run off the ends and uh, some outside zone uh, but the tackle off tackle and off guard are kind of where he's least comfortable he like he likes running either right up the middle or off the tight end way to the outside uh, on a on outside zone uh, those are that's where he's most comfortable. Uh, but he'll still run everywhere. He's got double-digit attempts um, in every uh, um, hole on the offense, so he's he's still willing to do all of that. And he's average. His average yards per carry are his worst is three point nine, and that's middle left. And a lot of that's probably just a gap power goal line scenarios. So your average is just gonna be worse there. Uh, not happy about his uh, middle right. Uh, where he's averaging over 10 yards per carry right up the middle, just off the center's uh, right hip. That is concerning. Uh, we're going to need Uso to really step up in a big way uh, in order to avoid getting exposed there. But yeah, he's, he's just a really good running back.
0: Yep, indeed he is. But we also have the receivers, which, spoilers, it uh, doesn't get easier.
1: Yep, so we'll start with um, Adonai or A.D. Mitchell uh, transferred in from Georgia. He had a touchdown reception in the national title uh, last year. Uh, he didn't play most of last season. I think he was hurt for a lot of it, uh, which I don't know why I mentioned him getting a touchdown in the national title. I think about everybody for Georgia did, but uh, he's really, really good. Um, he's going to be an All-Big 12 receiver, and uh, he's huge as well. He's 6'4", 196, but he... Uh, The way he plays, you wouldn't always guess it because he's just a remarkably talented uh, individual. And a lot about that, uh, about how big he is, that makes him a really good running mate to Xavier Worthy uh, just because he's able to just do some unique things with the ball. And if you're hoping that you can get away from him um, in in different ways, if you're hoping that you can uh, like not worry about covering him in certain areas of the field, kind of can't uh You're at least at least in terms of uh distances his P- his lowest PFF grade is uh an 80.4 behind the line of scrimmage uh which he hardly ever gets targeted there so it doesn't even matter everything else is an 83 plus uh his intermediate game he's got a 95.8 grade there um ugh. He's yeah, <laughs> got twenty targets and sixteen receptions, four touchdowns, two hundred thirty yards, uh, in the uh, ten to nineteen yard range, and no drops. Not a single drop. That is horrifying. Uh, so it's going to be difficult uh, for for us to cover him. Uh, this is the type of guy that you you need, Will Lee. Uh, really, that's that's kind of our our best way to erase him. Uh, Jacob Parrish probably doesn't have the size uh, to take on AD Mitchell. Uh, and I don't really want Keenan Garber up against him either. God, no. So I I, I think you have to get Will Lee here. Uh, and that's, that's your best shot. Just kind of cross your fingers. But, yeah, A.D. Mitchell is going to be good wherever you throw him the ball. Uh, he hasn't uh, – and he's had nine targets deep. Only three receptions, but he's got two touchdowns. Uh, so it's – Uh, high efficiency there at the very least 33 yards per reception uh when we get there only one drop on the years well at least one uh charted drop and that was a a short ball but i don't know what else to say about him really uh ad mitchell is gonna be a massive massive problem for our secondary and he's not even their best receiver and that's the scariest part
0: yeah nope that's the worst part because he's probably not even close to their best receiver and their best receiver has been there for three years and it's getting to the point where it's annoying me
1: yeah uh xavier worthy he is an elite receiver in every sense of the word uh he'll be a first round pick Uh, he's a six foot six foot one 172 guy Uh, he is extremely dangerous as a receiver but he just had a punt return touchdown last week too against byu so they'll move him all around and use him in different ways. Uh, so we're gonna have to be careful punting to him as well. It's just another area where Texas is gonna try and get an advantage uh, is putting some of their best players on special teams. But there's a uh, um he he's he's incredible. He's an unbelievable receiver. Ten plus targets at every depth according to PFF. Uh, 90 plus grades in the intermediate and deep. Uh, his o- his only lower grade, I say that is still well above average. Uh, so seventy six point three in the short game. Uh, he has uh, four drops
0: in the short game, uh, like but no drops anywhere else, yeah. including you know a total of ten contested catches everywhere. Yep. Uh,
1: I, I don't, I'm struggling to think of the words, uh, but he's, I mean, he's unbelievable. Uh, If Xavier Worthy was on K-State, we'd be undefeated right now. (laughs) (laughs) I'll put it like that. Um, He's um, incredible over the middle. Um, He's really great at pretty much everything short. They don't target him much uh, short left or right, but short center and anything behind the line of scrimmage, he's pretty quality. Um, Intermediate center, uh, he uh, just will eat the defense alive. And then deep... He's really quality, too. I mean, he can do everything. He can go anywhere on the field and be a threat. They still like to work him over the middle just because that's where a lot of Texas' offense works. But they can use him anywhere. And they want to get him in space. And there's a lot to like about him. And he's he's still fast. He's going to be a first-rounder. Uh, he's an incredible route runner. Uh, so we're going to need someone to be able to really stick to him, which I think is maybe where someone like Jacob Parrish uh, maybe our best bet um, him uh, Garber would probably do okay against him deep because uh, Garber does have fairly decent speed, uh, but he's just so good. He has a great head fake and is able to really fake guys out really well. This is that route running that he has. He just has a lot of details that most, a lot of guys at the college level just don't have. Uh, the only weakness he really has is that he's uh, kind of slight, uh, 6'1", 172. Uh, so you're going to end up being pretty skinny uh, with those measurables. So he, he is a pretty skinny receiver. Um, I seem to remember maybe two years ago that he got injured um, yeah, he in our he, game against us. He him. got
0: injured again on, yeah. on a punt return against us. Yeah.
1: Yeah. You know, yeah, we, uh, yeah, we like, hit him uh, kind of an open field, or it was a pretty direct hit, and I ended up getting him injured. I'm not saying that's what we should do, no. but I'm just saying that, that that lends itself to the fact that he is slight, and that is really the only weakness to his game, is that it can result in him getting banked up sometimes, but there's nothing else that is really a weakness for
0: him. Yeah, I. he just reminds me so much of Devontae Smith, but I think he's faster than Devontae Smith. And he won a Heisman. <laughs> I, it, it's 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 really tough. It's really really tough. Uh, do you want the last receiver or do you want to take the second tight end? Well, or the first tight end, I should say. Um, I'll take this last guy. Okay. Um,
1: this guy uh, Jordan Whittington. He's 6'1", 204, so he's fairly well built, especially compared uh, to Xavier Worthy. He's been a career Texas guy. He's been there for five seasons. Uh, And he's pretty quality. Yeah, he's a pretty decent guy. And again, he's another person that's going to work the middle of the field and be really effective there, especially the intermediate Texas, especially when they had Quinn Ewers. Loved working that intermediate middle part of the field, but he does work some intermediate right as well. Uh, I imagine we will be seeing more of him in the short center, though, uh, with Malik Murphy, but they may still want to try and get him open over the middle because he can play some bully ball uh, and he's got a lot of athletic upside. And uh, he can hold on to the ball through contact, so he can kind of bail out Malik Murphy a bit at times. Uh, I'm not sure who of our corners we should put on him. In a perfect world, I'd say uh, we could put Will Lee on him, but we already have him covering A.D. Mitchell in my world. So V.J. can get him. Yeah. All right, well, let's put V.J. on him. I believe in I believe in you, Ace. So, <laughs> uh, but he gets uh, nearly 50% of his targets in the uh, 10 to 19-yard range, uh, and... Of those, he gets a majority of those in the uh, between the numbers and outside right. Uh, He gets um, some work in the short center too, but yeah, he's just a really physical, contested catch guy. Uh, Notably,
0: not a single target deep. Yeah,
1: so doesn't go deep much ever, at Mm -hmm. least. At the very least, he's not been targeted deep, I guess is maybe the way we should put it, but that's hopefully good news for us. <laughs> we can worry about at least one less person for the most part, but we'll see.
0: Yeah. Uh, you, you, we say that Jatavian Sanders is still on this team, which is their their tight end. We mentioned that he's the consensus number two tight end, uh, one spot in front of Ben Sinnott. Uh, there's just no reason why he should be as athletic as he is. There's there's no good reason for it. Uh, he just He's basically a receiver who happens to play tight end because he's freakishly, like he's 6'4", 243. Like, he just happens to play tight end because he's that size. And he uses that size to just shield off and wall off defenders in contested catch situations. And literally his only weakness is that he doesn't have the greatest long speed, and he's not the best run blocker, which makes sense because he's mostly a move tight end and mostly, like, a receiving tight end. Jatavian Sanders, in a game that I think has a lot of really, really concerning matchups, I think Jatavian Sanders might be the most concerning of them if we're going in a pure man coverage situation, just because of that athleticism. But there's more, because you get the second tight end who logs pretty much like a a weirdly comparable amount of snaps, and that's Gunnar Helm, who's also been at Texas for a while. He's 6'5", 250 And the PFF grades don't say he's a better run blocker. I'm telling you right now, he is a considerably better run blocker. (laughs) And he's just... He's even more of that bully ball Jatavian Sanders play style, but he embodies it more because he's more physical, but maybe a little slower. And, you know, both of their tight ends are receiving problems. And at least Gunnar Helm is a pretty decent run blocker. You know, a lot of like, the tight ends game, especially in a Steve Sarkisian offense, is to be that matchup problem, to be that headache. And, yeah, these <laughs> these tight ends qualify as precisely that. <laughs> but those are the tight ends. Now we can get into the offensive line. Connor, would you like the left side or the right side?
1: I'll go ahead and take the left side. All right. Uh, so that go- that starts us out with uh, number 78, Kelvin Banks, 6'4", 3'24". Uh, kind of a similar build to KT Leviston uh, at least based off numbers alone. Uh, he's not the fastest guy. He's actually pretty slow uh, in the run game. Uh, but the flip side of that is that he's the definition of an anchor uh, in pass protection. Yeah, he's not going to move very well in the run block, but he is just a... Im- immovable object and pass protection. Uh, last year, he as a freshman was one of the better uh, pass-, pass blocking left tackles in the entire Big 12. And uh, that was as a true freshman, I believe. And then this year, he's um, it arguably ups his game a little bit. Uh, he kind of has a weird amount of spring to his game for not really being fast, uh, which uh, is so weird that he's not normally a he's not what you would consider a plus athlete at left tackle, but then he still ends up being really good uh, as a, uh, a pass blocker. And he's ultimately averaging out to a fairly average offensive lineman uh, just because his run blocking isn't great. And there's not a lot he can do in space, but as a pass blocker, he is a force to be reckoned with. Yeah. And as a
0: pass blocker, he's a problem. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean that in a like he's a he's a problem for other teams. He's uh, quite a boon for Texas.
1: Yeah, and that takes us to the left guard Hayden Connor, uh, number seventy six. He's 6'5", 320 pounds. Uh, he's uh, been here for now three years, and uh, is, uh, in his second year starting or the very least getting starting snaps. Uh, no notes really. Uh, he's uh, he's he, fine. He's an inconsistent pass blocker and an okay
0: run blocker, at least according to PFF, and he's all right. Yeah, he's fine. But then we get into the center, which is led by Jake Majors, who I swear to you has been here since like the year 1800, even though it's only been like, it's he's been here since 2020. It just feels so much longer. Um, He has a lot of experience. That's the number one thing, and you can definitely tell that he commands the offensive line very well. And he also has pretty solid lateral agility for a center that pairs well with some solid enough functional strength. So honestly, I would describe him as a good pass blocking center who's okay at run blocking, which averages out to a good experienced, if at times unremarkable center, which uh, I'll talk about at the very end of of this, but there, there's one key strength that this line has. Uh, but... Before then, we get DJ Campbell, 6'3", 343. Uh, He he just clamps you or he whiffs, and there's no in-between. He will either have the most dominant rep in history, or he will lose in the most hilarious way possible. Uh, And he's probably the only player that I could think of that has this trait in particular, either win or lose straight off the bat. Um, But, you know, he's... The pass blocking reps are doing well for him, 75.7 on the year. Run blocking, 57.8, so again, just a little above average. Then finishing off with their right tackle, Christian Jones, 6'6", 321, big old boy. Been here longer than Jake, uh, I want to keep calling him Jake Moody, Jake Majors. (laughs) Um, Yeah, he just has this weird ability to just clamp. He literally goes in, clamps, and it's like a bear hug. His hands are so just ridiculously strong in that regard. Um, His biggest weakness is he's just bad at dealing with angles. If you catch him slightly on one of his shoulders, he's probably going for a ride. But he has the lateral agility to make that really difficult to do. Plus, the way he kind of bear hugs and clamps so wide, it makes it harder to access his shoulders. So he's just a really technically sound player. And the number one thing... That I want to note about this offensive line is, first off, they're only giving up pressure on 19.85% of snaps, which is pretty good, but the big thing with them is just they refuse to have more than one lineman at a time fail at once, which means that they're always going to have an escape route, whether in the passing or running game. And I think that is the most frustrating part about this offensive line is you can win a rep, like a guy can win their rep against, say, Kelvin Banks, but it doesn't matter because Hayden Connor is right there to pick it up. Like they're so cohesive as a unit, and that's what makes them so difficult to play against.
1: Yeah, that's why they only give up pressure on less than twenty percent of their snaps. Yeah, uh, because of how good of
0: a unit they are collectively. Yep. But now we can talk about their defense. Connor, you have the initial notes. Yep. So
1: overall, they're running 4-2-5 with a walked-up edge player. So kind of sort of similar to what we did in 2020 with Wyatt Hubert, except uh, I imagine their edge player is a little bit more versatile than Wyatt Hubert. Uh, They do sometimes play a similar 3-3-5 to Oklahoma State, Uh, and one of uh, the really the most notable thing about their defense is they're not very good against off tackle running. Uh, that's because their edge players uh, are pass rushers basically. Uh, that is their entire job. So they are just trying to collapse the pocket as quickly as possible and get to the quarterback. That that's why they exist. Uh, so they don't believe in playing force. They are the they're the anti boom Massey, if you will, <laughs> and. and Uh, So that allows some off-tackle running to occasionally be successful.
0: Yeah. You also have the coverages as well. Yeah,
1: which uh, they play a lot of off-man coverage, which is exceptionally strange, I think, for the amount of athletic talent they have uh, on their defense. Uh, They will still play some other stuff uh, on occasion, but they do prefer off-man, which is really weird that they like off-man. They could really just athletically dominate anybody that they want, uh on the line. So I'm not sure what they see in off man personally, uh but more power to them I guess if they don't want to <laughs> reach their maximum potential.
0: Yeah, that that's a them problem, not an us problem. <laughs> but starting off with their interior defensive line in Tavondre Sweat, number 93, 6'4, 362 big old boy. He's developed into the best interior defensive lineman we've seen since we started the show. Yes, we're including Siaki Ika. He just doesn't have any weaknesses. He has the strength to not move when punched in the running game. So he has tree stump strength. Uh, He has the athleticism to somehow take up multiple gaps when he's attacking one side of the offensive lineman. He can just go to the other side at will. And he's just a freak athlete who can do everything you ask him to do. He can push the pocket, he can rush the passer, he can defend the run, and all in all, he can just be a game wrecker. Siake Ika, at least, like he wouldn't very often win instantly. Tavandre Sweat has the ability to win a pass rush rep instantly as a nose tackle. And I he has nine quarterback hurries as a nose tackle and two batted balls. As a nose tackle.
1: (laughs) I I think we should also add as a
0: 362-pound nose tackle. Yeah. So uh, whoever blocks Devondre Sweat is not going to have a very pleasant experience. (laughs) Um, Because he has a 91.7 PFF grade, 91.3 run defense grade, and an 86.1 pass rush grade. With 13 total pressures on the year. What? <laughs> it's really not fair. It's not. If
1: you ask me, at least. I, I, I don't think it's fair that Texas should constantly just corner the market on a gigantic interior defensive lineman along with Georgia. I I think that Congress needs to do something about it.
0: They <laughs> need to intervene. But the other interior defensive guy is can be just as dominant, though he hasn't shown that consistency, and that's Byron Murphy the second. Um, He just really likes playing from a slanted alignment, which what I mean by that is, you know, normally you play head up to a guard. He will, like, his hand will be in front of the guard, but his body will be facing towards, like, his head will be faced towards the center. And the goal is to just get easy and cheap leverage to one direction and shove a guard into the center to just destroy everything. Uh, It's a really good counter to counters, funnily enough, in an inside zone going that way. And he's strong enough to make it work with some consistency, though it's not like an every down thing. He's not as much of a game wrecker. But he does have a really good rip move, and then he just lets the rep ride out, and suddenly he's near the quarterback. I'm not joking when, like, I will see him begin a rep, take his first step, and then two seconds will pass, and he's just suddenly there. Like, I don't, like, there's like a gap of two seconds where he fades out of this realm. (laughs) And just is somehow rushing the passer in that time. But he grades out really well on pff too. 84.6 total defensive grades, 72.9 in the run defense, and the 84.2 pass rush. With 20 total pressures, 3 sacks, 3 hits, 14 hurries. He's averaging, you know, he's had, in every game that he's had a hurry, he's had at least 2. And that is the exception where he's gotten 3. Although, he didn't get any hurries against Wyoming, Baylor, or KU, funnily enough. But, you know, their, their interior defensive line, it's nasty. It's a nasty group. Like, I can't lie to you. They're gross.
1: <laughs> yeah, don't like that very much at all, uh, if you ask me. But that takes us to the edge players. Uh, we'll start with uh, number 88, Baron Sorrell. Uh, Another guy has been in Texas for a little while, another guy in his second year starting. That's a common theme. There's a lot of experienced players on this team and a lot of guys that have been around Texas for a while. Uh, But the thing with Baron Sorrell, uh, he wants to be a uh, really big and nasty power rusher. That knocks people over. Like he wants to be that type of power rusher, but that's not who he is. He's 6'4", 261, so he's he's not a small person. But he's not the uh, he's not the rusher he thinks that he is. Um, but despite that, that does give him a really good motor. Uh, he's relentless, and he's still someone that we need to watch out for. Um, he will continue to fight, even though that power rush doesn't always work the way he wants it to. Uh, so he eventually does get to the quarterback. Uh, he's got 21 pressures on the year and 14 hurries. Uh, only two sacks, uh, but don't let that fool you. He's still a really dangerous
0: pass rusher. Yeah, then you get his running mate.
1: Yep. Uh, Ethan Burke uh, is the other guy. 6'6", 257. Uh, this is his first year as a starter. Uh, he did not play, though, against BYU. Uh was called week-to-week uh, by Steve Sarkeesian, so... Might see him, might not. Most likely situation sounds like he may be on a snap count, maybe. Uh, but he's uh, the complement uh, to uh, um, Baron. He's a more finesse-based rusher. Uh, that's the type of guy that he is. Uh, he's not going to be the power rusher guy, which if I was six 257, uh, I'd probably want to go finesse as well. I'd imagine he carries with him very long arms. i uh, not seen him in action, but... Uh, he, he should be a, uh, a really dangerous piece still uh, to deal with. And then, of course, the overarching note on the edge rushers is still that they are pass rushers first and foremost, and trying to get into the backfields, so that opens up the off-tackle uh, more often than not in the run game.
0: Yeah. Now we can get into their linebackers who, aside from their, aside from their interior guys, are probably the best room on the defense. Obviously, it's led by Jalen Ford, who, listen, there's a good reason why people were mad he wasn't the offensive or the defensive player of the year last year. I get it. I don't agree, but I get it. Um, he's just doing everything at a really, really high level. And he does all of this because of his athleticism that makes him a threat in, in coverage and blitzing. He's He has heady enough to make sure he's fitting the run properly, and he's just All in all, a headache. Like, there's not many weaknesses to his... Like, there's not many true weaknesses to his game. I don't think his PFF grades are giving him nearly enough credit because he's... He can be truly a a game-wrecking linebacker. Not always because he's physically... Like, the most physically dominant, though there are times he is. It's because he's just not going to make mistakes. He's going to be in the right position almost every time. He's going to make the tackle almost every time. And he's going to beat you to your own gap as a running back every single time. That's what makes Jalen Ford so good. And it's honestly complimented by the skill sets of the other linebackers around him, including David Gabenda, who has been at Texas for five years. Granted, he's only been a starter this year. Uh, He just wants the home run play which really compliments Jalen Ford's style because Jalen Ford is the consistent guy. Gavenda is the home run hitter. (laughs) He wants to try and backdoor and run up to the line of scrimmage immediately to get the tackle for loss. And Ford can clean up if he doesn't. And despite his ability to play fast and aggressive, he isn't prone to making the wrong choice in a run fit. Yeah, he's going to try and backdoor it, but that's technically still his gap. (laughs) And you're not going to be able to cut back into him. And because he's a Texas linebacker, he has the athleticism to be good in coverage, and although that speed does kind of work against him at times, he's still just really instinctual good player. And then, of course, you get the final member of the group, which is Anthony Hill Jr., number zero, and he's just a playmaker. Like, he's literally just the definition of a playmaker on defense. He does something. He does stuff outside of structure, but is so efficient in taking those risks that it doesn't matter. It goes without saying he's a great athlete with great instincts, and he's just not the type of player that does well in a predefined structure. But because all three of these linebackers are able to feed off of each other and play off of one another's strengths and weaknesses, the linebackers, even if they aren't all graded out remarkably well, in fact, I think all three of them have graded out to PFF to be just kind of average. It's the fact that they all three play together and each of their skill sets perfectly complement one another. That's what makes their linebacker room so good. You have the disciplined guy in Jalen Ford. You have the home run hitter in Gumbenda, and you have the playmaker in Anthony Hill.
1: Yep, and Anthony Hill is a true freshman as well. Yeah. Uh, former five-star recruit, so a lot... I mean, he's, he's the... Prototypical Texas linebacker, I guess, in that sense. Uh, just crazy, 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 crazy athlete. Highly regarded recruit. Uh,
0: he he is Texas football in a lot of ways. Yeah, he kind of is. The only way that he could be more of a Texas football player is if he was a running back.
1: Yeah, that's the only thing that isn't going his favor. But yeah, that moves us into the cornerbacks now. Uh, we'll start with uh, number eight, Terrence Brooks, uh, six foot two hundred fairly standard corner size, maybe a little uh, uh, heavier than most, uh, a little stronger. Um, but he's quite good, uh, at least in some ways. But <laughs> uh, one thing that he's not so good at, though, is uh, getting his head around on deep balls. Uh, he has Keenan-Garber syndrome, I guess. Yeah, he uh, in very some much ways. has
0: Keenan-Garber syndrome.
1: <laughs> yeah, but uh, he um, plays the receiver as a corner. Uh, but given that they're an off-man team, uh, he is st- still good at sticking to his man uh, as closely as possible. So he plays this assignment pretty well. Uh, and he's been mostly average all year, but at least PFF says he's coming off his best game of the season against BYU. Although a lot of people for Texas are coming <laughs> off their best game of the season against BYU. yeah, Because uh, BYU may have been the, the worst 5-2 and two team in history <laughs> in yeah. the Power 5. But uh, he he's quite good uh, as Terrence Brooks. Uh, at least a man But then that brings us to uh, Malik Muhammad uh, 6 foot 181 pound uh, Defensive back number 5 uh, He is in his first year Playing, I don't know if that means it makes him a redshirt freshman Or a true freshman But he's in his first year getting snaps uh, But he's a very willing Run defender uh, And similar to Brooks He's going to stick to his man Which with those corners And playing off man uh, They want to stick with their receivers that's that's the main thing they're going for and they're doing the job that they're told to do i guess at the end of the day so those are their corners not the most remarkable corners we've ever seen from texas not the most noteworthy but that doesn't make them bad corners they're quite good still they do their jobs
0: yeah and because there's so little to say about the corners you may have the the safeties as well yeah. So the the safeties, <laughs> the
1: safeties, um, at least um, from what you were saying, uh, you felt maybe they're a,
0: a worst room, or at the very least, uh, not such a good room. Probably their corners are their worst room, but safeties, they have the opposite problem of the linebackers, where they don't seem like they gel as well.
1: Yeah. Uh, their uh, the safeties this year have been, um. I guess you could just stretch that to the defensive backfield as a whole. Uh, Their DBs have not been the absolute greatest this year, especially not for what you would expect uh, from a Texas squad. We'll start with uh, uh, Jade Barron, number 23. Uh, He's an instinctual fast player who's probably their best defensive back and run support. Um, But if you run a screen against him, he will find a way to blow it up. Uh, So he's... Kind of like their Seagull, then I guess at yeah, least sort of a skill set. He's Marquis Seagull. Yeah, five eleven, one ninety two. He is basically Seagull. Uh, he's in his fourth year playing, second year as a starter. Uh, again, coming off one of his best games of the season against BYU, uh, and he grades fairly well. Um, defensively, eighty one grade on the year, eighty four grade in coverage, uh, run defense grade of seventy two, and tackling is seventy seven point two. He's he's a good safety. Yeah. Uh. That takes us to Jaron Thompson. Then six foot one ninety one, number twenty eight. Uh, he has the instincts to be good in coverage, uh, but his speed is what makes him uh, not quite the perfect center fielder, uh, at least for what Texas would like. Um, but he is still, at the end of the day, he's their center fielder. That's his role. He plays deep zones uh, and makes sure that things don't get completed deep. Uh, so. His role is at odds with his athleticism, um, but he's still fairly decent in some ways. Uh, The one knock on his game, at least according to PFF, is tackling, but again, that's not really his main job. Not the best run defender either, but he's mainly existing to play deep coverage. Uh, That's what he's there for. So uh, he's completing that job well enough, according to PFF. 78.2 coverage grade on the year. Uh, but all in all, he's a solid safety uh, A third year starter for Texas uh, Been around the block He's very experienced Yeah. That brings us to the uh, last safety uh, Derek Williams Jr., number 2 He's six foot two, 191 So he has the most size out of the group uh, But there's not a lot to say about him He's just kind of an okay safety He's average uh, He's a good tackler And he's just kind of fine uh, everything else that he does. There um he's mostly an unremarkable player, really.
0: Yeah, that's that's pretty much how I would describe him as well as is, is unremarkable. So now we can talk about the stories to watch going into this game and there there are a lot of them, uh which we'll talk about obviously now, but then we'll sort of give our holistic thoughts afterwards. First off, what's the game plan to defend against the explosive plays of Texas?
1: Um, well, that's a tough one. Uh, I think that in obvious passing situations, you need to blitz every single time. Yep. Uh, I, I think that you, at some point we're going to have to have some level of trust in our guys on the back end to play some coverage for a little bit. I, I don't think we can make it through this game without asking them to be able to survive a few man coverage reps uh, without help. Um, uh, I, I think that one of the best ways to uh, do this is to expect uso to have a big game. I think uso is going to be a huge key uh, in this game, and our linebackers have to tackle well. Uh, so, but to get away from the explosive plays, uh, just don't get beat deep and don't let Xavier Worthy get open over the middle.
0: Yeah, because those are those are losing
1: weight, Those are ways to lose. <laughs> yeah. He can catch the ball over the middle, but he cannot get space over the middle. Yeah. But those are two different things so yeah but uh then next what's the game plan to counter the athleticism
0: of texas see on defense i think it's going to be a lot of you know pin and pull like counter stuff to where you're not necessarily have to win you just have to get in the way <laughs> you have to have one person win hopefully that'll be cooper Beebe. but you have to have one person win in the running game In the passing game, they're going to play a lot of off-man coverage, so you have to be willing to just take what the defense gives you, which Will has done very well with these last couple of weeks. And on offense, you just have to... You're not going to be able to truly counter the athletic Like Texas is probably one of the most athletic teams in the country. Washington's probably up there. Georgia's up there. Ohio State's always up there. But... The best way that we can counter the athleticism of Texas is to make sure those people don't get the ball, and that's by making Malik Murphy uncomfortable. (laughs) Yeah, I am... But speaking of, I guess, for your uh, your next question. Speaking of, can K-State make Murphy uncomfortable in the pocket?
1: K-State's not been getting as many sacks recently, but the pressure rate's been high, and they've been getting a lot of QB hits as well that have been noticeably affecting... Uh, quarterbacks that we've been facing in the past game. Uh, Malik Murphy is definitely a vulnerable quarterback. He's young, only in his second career start, the first time against a conscious team, and he's uh, not going to be 100% ready yet. Uh, K-State has a huge opportunity as a defense, Joe Klannerman especially. There's a huge opportunity to get creative with uh, your rushes, especially because Malik Murphy is not a particularly mobile quarterback. So K-State, I'm looking to see a continuation of some uh, overloading from last week. Uh, I imagine we see some of that and hopefully a lot of stunts because we're going to need to get creative. We're not going to be able to win a lot of just straight-up rushes against this Texas offensive line, at least as a unit. We're going to have to outnumber them in a lot of situations, whether that be straight-up or overloading, but we need to be able to make Murphy uncomfortable by just getting consistent pressure. And we need our corners to be quality uh, on the outside. We're going to give up a few, but we really need Willie and Jacob Parrish to step up against uh, A.D. Mitchell
0: and Xavier Worthy. Yeah, which I I agree. I think K-State is more than capable of making Murphy uncomfortable because it's pretty easy to make him uncomfortable. BYU is able to do it, and they're not exactly the pass rush gods. Yeah, but... Uh, Let's get to the next question. Uh, Who wins the turnover battle? See, normally we just leave this as sort of a given because it's a a given every single week. Turnovers will decide this game. K-State needs one. And if they get two, I would feel really happy about how... Like, if you told me right now that K-State got, like, two turnovers, I'd say we won the game somewhat comfortably. We can't afford to give the ball away. We can't afford to give possessions away. Even if they would have been possessions that just end in field goals, we can't afford to give them away. Not against a team that's opportunistic as this and as athletic as this. You want to give Malik Murphy and that offense as few opportunities as possible. This would be a great game for us to suddenly get the ability to run like seven minutes off the clock every single drive. This would be the perfect game to do that.
1: (laughs) Yes, that would be incredible. I... If we could just play ultimate ball control,
0: I'll be so happy. Yeah. But the last little storyline here is, does K-State use Avery a lot in the quarterback running game to keep Texas off balance despite their amazing athleticism?
1: I don't know if it'll be as much as people want, but I think he's going to be a counterpunch, at least a notable amount. Uh, I honestly think that we bring him in the pass, uh, more than to run. I think that we could get some success from Avery as a passer in this game uh, just to try and get the box stacked. Because uh, I think bringing in Avery, we've seen the last two teams that have faced Avery just completely stack the box and have it, at least for TCU, not really work. And for Houston, kind of work. Uh, but then he just adjusted and threw the ball. I I think that we need to force texas to stack the box and if we put in avery i think we will and when that happens i believe one person can get open i don't care who it is there is a human being in k-state skill position complement that will be able to get open uh, especially if texas continues to play off man uh we were just talking about this. Slant Flats. Maybe something to go to here. Slant Flats uh, goaded. to... Uh, we, we could roll with that. Uh, I'd like to see us return to um, something we used against Oklahoma State last year. A, uh, a receiver middle screen with a uh, Senate block in uh, the jet motion. Uh, that's... I don't know what that's called, but that I'd, I think that we could maybe see something with Probably that. just motion smoke. Motion smoke. As I will take credit for that, but I, I think I think that there's a, a big opportunity here uh, for us to use Avery in a way that maybe Texas doesn't expect us to, and it may not be in the way that K-State fans want us to use him, but I think we're going to have to be unconventional with him if we want it to work because Texas is just so athletic in their front seven that it's just going to be really, really difficult to just Run QB power. Now, maybe I'm wrong and we just run QB power with Avery and win by 20.
0: That'd be hilarious. I would actually really accept that and really like that.
1: Yeah, I think if we did that, that's fine. Um, Take back everything I said in that case. But uh, at least as it stands today, uh, I'd like to see us run some RPO with Avery, uh, run some uh, drop back passes with Avery in the game, and take advantage of maybe a uh, lighter defensive
0: backfield yeah which leads us into projected offensive and defensive mvps i'm gonna go with will howard and austin moore
1: i'm going with dj giddens and uso samala
0: good pick now before we get into the um the score projections here i think this is going to be an ugly game i don't think anyone is going to leave this game feeling particularly great especially given Both teams' ability to clamp down in the red zone on defense. I think this is this. I don't think it's going to be a rock fight. Let me clarify. I don't think it's going to be a rock fight. Please don't be a rock fight. But this is not going to be an easy game. No elimination game, functionally elimination game in the Big Twelve is. That being said, I don't trust Malik Murphy to take Texas to victory against a conscious team that knows how to blitz. I think our offense will have struggles at time. I truly do. I think that we will probably have, if I was guessing, I'd say probably like 50% of our drives are either three and outs or only like one first down is gotten on those drives. A lot of this sounds like I think we're going to lose. I don't. I genuinely believe that K-State can pull out a victory here. And I think it's going to be a lot on the fact that Texas... Let me clarify something. If they had Quinn Ewers, I'd probably have us losing my, like, 10. <laughs> but, and that that's just honesty. But I believe in K-State's ability to pull out a victory with their backs to the wall. I have K-State winning 20-14. to In an ugly game. <laughs> Uh, K-State's
1: not beaten Texas since 2016 Uh, So I was in high school the last time that K-State beat Texas I was a junior in high school Last last time K-State beat Texas So it has been a while uh, since we beat Texas uh, Much less on the road Uh, Last time on the road, gosh, I would have been like the 5th grade or something 6th grade maybe Uh, It's been a little bit is the point um, but I, I think that K-State actually can pull this one out. Uh, the stars are aligning for a good scenario for K-State. Not a perfect one, but a a more winnable scenario than I think we thought would be available. So I, I have K-State winning this one uh, 28-21. Yeah.
0: This is a game that you take the victory and you get the hell out. You run. Yes. Uh,
1: <laughs> anything you can get and you you just take it. Uh this is not one where I'm going to really be too uh uh finicky about how we get the win. Just win, baby. Just win. Yeah, do you have any any final thoughts before we sign off? Um I'm going to be very nervous this entire week.
0: You haven't started?
1: No, I have been. <laughs> but I'm going to continue to be.
0: Yeah. I, we already mentioned how big the game is, but truly, this this probably is an elimination game for going to Arlington, which you know you you have to hope that the team knows that and is ready to play with their backs to the wall and play like they have nothing to lose and everything to gain, even though they do have something to lose. But who wants to live forever, right? <laughs> That pretty much wraps up this episode of the Aggieville Alleycats podcast. Thank you all so much for listening. If you want to follow or contact the show, you can follow us just about anywhere at Aggieville A-Cats. If you want to email us, we're AggievilleAlleycats at gmail.com. If you want to follow us more personally, I am at ACEdward00. I am at Connor ConnorBalthasor, capital C, capital B. And if you want to support the show financially, please be sure to check out the official Aggieville Alleycats merch store. Where you can just buy everything to your heart's content if you so desire. Link in our Twitter and podcast bios. But most importantly, thank you all for listening to this episode of the Aggie Vote Alley Cats podcast, where come rain, shine, or anything in between, we're here to deliver to you the Kansas State sporting news that you so love. Stay safe, Alley Cats.